right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 167. Welcome. It's Tuesday night. I'm your host, Bob Akhayeri, and we do these every Tuesday night as an opportunity to talk to you out there about your thoughts on college football. So I'm just going to go ahead and fire up the reply tweet to let you know if you want to join the conversation, you can hit request from the Twitter app and we'll listen to you and, and have a conversation. So there is so much going on. We just finished the final week of the regular season. The second to last college football playoff rankings just came out and they have started to generate their own conversation. Then everyone's trying to figure out what the, uh, what the layout's going to be for the playoffs. You know, one of the interesting stories and one of the ones that, uh, that struck, by the way, actually, before I get to that, let me talk about how wonderful this regular season has been. It came down to the final play of the final game to fill the very last spot in the Bulls. There were 82 spots, and you could say there's too many Bulls. I don't believe that. More football, the better. But there were 82 spots, and we were going to see if 82 Bull-eligible teams were going to qualify. And Colorado State was at Hawaii. It was a Hawaii test, the late-night game. And on a walk-off field goal, and by the way, it's worth looking up. It was a fire drill walk-off field goal. Hawaii got into the red zone, didn't have any timeouts. They literally ran the kicker onto the field, and he kicked the game-winning field goal as time went out. It was like when TCU defeated Baylor last year to keep their championship homes alive, hopes alive. And that one, like it was 1.20, actually I should say, pardon me, I'm in Central Time, 2.20 a.m. Eastern. That was the moment that Colorado State was eliminated from bowl eligibility and Minnesota backed into the last spot for bowls because with 81 bowl eligible teams, the last spot, because James Madison and Jacksonville State actually got bowl eligible because of this. I mean, they were technically not qualified, but because there weren't enough teams, they got to move up. So they filled in two of those final spaces due to a lack of eligible teams. But the very last team ended up being Minnesota because when they are stuck with trying to find a five-win team, they go based on the rote, I guess it's um, a progressive academic progress rating, um, progress rate, pardon me. And Minnesota was number one. So at 1.30, or I should say 2.30 Eastern on the final day of college football, Minnesota got that last bowl spot. I thought here in downtown Minneapolis, they should have fired off fireworks from the stadium not explaining to anybody why after losing to Wisconsin at you know 1.30 in the morning central, they started firing off fireworks. But that's why this sport is fun. That's why this sport is crazy. You know, I see we have a conversation. We have Ski Master Murphy wants to come up. I can't wait. Probably going to hear about the game. But there's so much going on right now. I mean, by the way, another kind of fun little note. I mean, there's a lot to talk about with the uh, Bobby Petrino is apparently – finalizing the agreement to become the Arkansas Razorbacks offensive coordinator. So fire up your Harleys. He's coming back. And oh my goodness, if I, uh, does that feel like a, a interim head coach in waiting uh, going into next season? I'm not sure. And one other kind of fun note, we're going to have another FBS program in a couple of seasons because in 2025 conference USA is going to add Delaware. The blue hens are going to be also part of the FBS world. So, Ski Mask Smurphy, what's on your mind? Um, what's on my mind is, you're right, this this last week ended the season very well, especially Hawaii deciding to fire rush a field goal on and forgetting they got a first down and could have just spiked the ball. But it still worked out. 
And then um, one thing I wanted to talk about, even I'm a Michigan fan, the one game I have to talk about that I watched this week was the whole ending sequence of Alabama and Auburn in the Iron Bowl. I've never seen anything quite as ridiculous. It's like an episode of, what is the old thing, like football follies back in the 80s, like on the VHS tapes. Everything I mean, it feels that, like just a just another game of Jordan Hare, you know? <laughs> yeah. It felt like everything every team could do possibly wrong to not win the game, both of them did. Absolutely. You know, one of the funniest ideas I heard based on how that game ended on, or, well, at least the fourth and 31 moment, is that the city of Tuscaloosa should, for just at least one year, ceremonially replace May 1st with 4th and 31 and April 31st that is only recognized in Tuscaloosa just to honor the way that game ended or at least the way that game kind of came to a head and it's legend. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, that that by far, I mean, isn't that the thing? I mean, I was just having a conversation um, with Shehanje Araja because I do, a, I do a podcast with him for a newspaper group on, on playoff contenders. And it's comparing the game to the Iron Bowl year after year. The Iron Bowl is just teams going completely bonkers, going ham, just totally unusual uh, wackiness. While when the game happens, it, it feels like a, a group of serious people having a serious football game. While it's, it's interesting, and it was obviously, I know for you as a Michigan fan, it was quite a success, but goodness, was that, you know, I mean, it's fun to co- draw the comparison. Yeah, you know, I have to. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, though, what your thoughts were on the game. Honestly, with the game, everything went the way I expected, except for, I mean, McCord's not, you know, one of the guys in a long line of great Ohio State quarterbacks that they've had over for like a decade. But the one thing I didn't expect was McCord's inability to get the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. That was one of the things that I thought was going to be an factor that they just put the ball in his hands and we just sit there and get terrorized every play of the game. But the defense held up to pressure on McCord and he just was not able to make those throws. And it was it was something that was surprising, but also just good game playing game planning from the coaches. I mean I mean there was no point in the game where I felt Ohio State was out of the game. It felt like it could have went either way. And just for us lucky that field goal at the beginning at the end of the first half, he missed it. And that's what made the difference. You know, it does feel to some extent, and I mean, I, I'm not, I, I understand how, how heated it is for Ryan Day among some of the Ohio State faithful. I get that. But it, and, and, but I'm not trying to necessarily say I think he should be fired or anything like that. I mean, but I'm, the, the critique, and I agree with the critique, is perhaps he went surprisingly conservative. It's like he was trying to beat last year's Michigan team. Um, that, that field goal that he decided on at the point he did in the, uh, the end of the first half as well as just kind of the, the general play calling seemed a little bit more risk adverse while, you know, and here I was surprised. I was expecting Sharon more. I was actually a little bit hesitant. I'm like, how's he going to do in this game? We saw two kind of odd, like the Penn state game at first seemed really neat. Let's run it 32 times. They can't stop us. Uh, but then with the Maryland game, I'm like, wait, are we, is he like, you know, then I started to have a little bit of doubts only because of how they struggle against Maryland. But then Watching again, they pulled out all the stops. It felt like, and I mean, where when else would you? I mean, they they've been able. People have been wondering all season with with the opponents they played. Have they been hiding? Have they been playing super conservative because they don't want to reveal things? And they really did. I mean, they they went three and three on fourth down. They they brought out Alex Orgy, their their backup QB, as a run threat. He got that great twenty yard run. 
Donovan Edwards threw, you know, the running back Donovan Edwards threw a 34 yard pass to set up that fourth quarter field goal. I mean, uh, I get it why you wouldn't show those tricks earlier, but then at the same time, on the, the flip side of the ball, it just Ryan Day was playing what felt like a field position game. Um, and I and I can get why you might base that on the the offense we saw against Maryland, but um, I think you know again no fourth down attempts by by the Buckeyes. It just felt a little bit more a little more formal, and I think that's where it kind of fell apart for them. Um, and and the fact is JJ McCarthy stepped up. I think that was the other thing. Are we going to see a team like what we saw against Maryland? And then, you know, I was hearing just some of the analysis of the game and somebody who saw McCarthy before the game said he was like totally relaxed in the tunnel, chilling out. And I realized, you know what, I had I had mis- I had actually thought he wasn't going to do that good. And that was my fault because I didn't think about the fact that he had beat Ohio State already in the shoe. So then returning to the big house in a more comfortable environment. And again, by all regards, the the big house was more Michigan than usual, and probably because a lot of fans weren't willing to sell tickets, so Ohio State fans just couldn't get the tickets, um, not that they wouldn't show up. So I think those things played into perhaps the performance we saw. Um, and those are my just general thoughts on that. You know, before we get too far afield, my uh, Andrew uh, Sagona, my co-host, I know you're up here. I'd like to uh, I'd like to hear from you. I know you were in, for example, on the teleconference, but how are you doing this evening? I'm doing quite well. How about yourself? I'm good. I know you were on the uh, the, the the media post game call. Pardon me, post game, but uh, post rankings show call with Boo Corrigan and Bill Hancock. Um, tell me what what you heard from them. I know you got the lead question actually tonight. That's right, and I I don't want to bury the lead, but I or I'll come back to my point in a second. But uh, yeah, I did get the lead question this week, which was kind of cool. Um, I naturally asked about kind of a question that I had <clears throat> heard brought up a lot on social media was why Ohio State dropped below Oregon because, you know, it's a close game against, it was, in my mind at least, it, it could have gone either way. Um, but essentially, uh, Boo Corrigan said, essentially that Oregon jumped them because of how they did against Oregon state. Um, looking at the, the transcript here, he said uh, holding a team to seven points, that's averaging 34 points. Uh, again, a lot of respect for Ohio B- state being number six, really good team. Um, but to your point, it's a one possession game on the road, but the committee ranked Oregon five and Ohio state six. And something that he brought up later in the teleconference was uh, those two were neck and neck. The three and four teams were neck and neck, and the five and six teams were neck and neck. So I kind of almost got the sense, as far as you can tell, because Boo is very good at politicking answers. Um, he, He was born to be the head of this committee. Um, but you kind of got the sense that, you know, could have shuffled the cups a little bit and you could have had a different orientation of three, four, five, and six. 
Yeah, um, especially with the uh, at least with the undefeateds. I think the undefeateds and the and the the top two one loss team. It's interesting too. One of the things that I've seen a lot of heat for because Alabama got pushed to the eighth spot, and what makes that, uh, or at least I should say, remained at the eighth spot. And the concern is there has yet to be a team in this uh, you know second to last CFP ranking that has been able to go from number eight into the the coveted final four now beating georgia certainly could make that argument and i, I want to make that clear i i think some alabama fans might be reading a little much into that although i get the wire where history kind of influences that i the question of course would be and it isn't a foregone question like in, in if this year had just a bad selection of teams and, and some have argued last year perhaps did um but this year, certainly we don't. We have so many good teams that it, it seems the SEC may only be able to send one. So uh, the, the dream of one of the uh, one of the other, and which gets into a crazy situation of what would happen to Georgia in that situation. And and again, I'm not saying that that either of those schools should be left out, but it just it's a fascinating situation. So I, I'm certain though. What going back to what my point is here, the SEC is going to get at least one team in. The idea of them being shut out seems seems asinine to me. I think we'll see that. Certainly the Big Ten is going to probably send someone. I mean, Iowa, we know you're out there. By the way, I have to say, I don't know if some of you saw this on DraftKings. Um, it, the, uh, um, the, uh, the, the, the line right now for the total points scored by Iowa in the first half is 0. .5. So it's, that, that's how little faith Vegas has right now in that, that Iowa offense. So I think if they manage to pull the upset, it'll probably be like, five to three or something like that. But um, again, going into this, I mean, the, the teams that seem to have the most shakiness, Ohio State now is just the team chaos. They have to just hope for chaos. They're not totally out, but they need a lot of, a lot of things to happen by nature of simply not playing this week. I think we're going to see the winner of Oregon-Washington certainly go in. And the, the question of Texas and where they would fit in, and, and if it comes down to, let's say, a choice between the Texas and Alabama team, um, assuming if they were to both win, that's going to be another one that, that is going to be quite interesting. Because if Texas has that head-to-head, you know, has too much time passed, I mean, is it going to make it meaningless to, to schedule such an amazing non-conference game? Are we going to discourage those kinds of things? You know, there was a, there was a point, and this is something I know, um, I, I, when I read in the transcript, it popped out, and I know Heather Dinich um, also tweeted it out because that's what they do. We just listen to what they say and you tweet it out. And then if you miss it, you get the transcript and you tweet it out. That's how that's how media works. But um, Hancock, Bill Hancock, the executive director, said the committee's job was to rank the four best teams and that the, quote, most deserving is not anything in the committee's lexicon. Uh, they are there to rank the best teams in order, and that's what they do. So keep that in mind. So he wanted to be... Um, you know, uh, he wanted the, the keyword to be best teams, not most deserving. But we'll see where that goes next week. A lot of football could go in any direction. But I think a lot of the nervousness that we're seeing is the fact that waiting for an upset, there hasn't been one. I mean, one of the teams lost, one of the candidates lost, and that's because they played one of the other candidates. The rest of them have just sort of continued to to win their way through. And that, that has been... Um, it is made for a really good preview of why we want a 12-team playoff, those of us who advocate for it. But it has been absolutely fascinating. You know, um, I want to let on John as well. I see his hand up. Um, this is really just, this is just a, such a wonderful part of the season. That's all I got to say. I, I cannot wait 
to see how this finishes out. Um, so, John, what's going on? What's on your mind? Hey, man, how you doing today? Good. Well, first of all, I would like to say, uh, how about them monarchs? <laughs> yeah, the Old Dominion. Yeah, how did you feel the season's gone? Man, um, you know, we have won, well, 10 of our games have been decided by uh, one score or less. So I think I've aged myself by now 10 years. Um, so it's been a very stressful year. I'm happy to be bowling, though. There was a lot of, there's a lot of high and a lot of low points this year. So I'm just happy to be going to a bowl game somewhere. Um, but other than that, I, I did have a quick question. I know last week I asked you um, what team you thought was the most disappointing. Uh, I want to flip this around. So what, what team has impressed you the most this year? Oh, that's a great question. So which team has been the one that's impressed me the most? Whew, Mizzou. I would have to say Mizzou. I think that that's the easiest one to pick, only because it wasn't clear if Eli Drinkwitz was on the, the hot seat going into this season. I mean, previous to last season, they seemed like he was on the hot seat, and then he kind of up to, to get a little bit of the heat off of him. But it always felt like he was going in there with a big question. And to be where they are now, they're number nine in the CFP rankings. I mean, they're not going to play another game until the Bulls. They're probably going to stay in the top ten and get to a bowl. They're probably going to have a shot for a New Year's Six game. And I think that's that's spectacular for Mizzou. You know, it, it depends on how you define New Year's Six games and, and the best bowls. But technically, they, they like they sometimes have said they haven't been to one, but they have been to the Cotton Bowl a couple of times. It was just literally the last time they went to the Cotton Bowl was the year before the Cotton Bowl became a New Year's Six bowl. But it's never been a. I, I always consider the Cotton Bowl a pretty serious bowl. So I just I just want to say, but um, I think that's good. And then to a lesser extent, um, you know, again, uh, Neil Brown at West Virginia kind of. It's a little less impressive, but still finishing eight and four after he seemed to be the number one person on the hot seat. And then, okay, pardon me, Louisville. Louisville's also in that group. Louisville, you know, that's, even though they dropped that Kentucky game, they're still going to the ACC title game. They are a lot of fans from Texas and other programs with one loss that are absolutely behind them in seeing if they can defeat the, uh, the, the story at uh, Florida State. But um, I think those three are, are probably my top candidates. What do you think, John? Uh, you know, I agree with you. I, I think Mizzou is my number one. I know it's the obvious choice, but, I mean, we're talking about a team that was considered the ghost of the SEC because, you know, some people for, would forget they're even in the conference. So I think the fact they've, they've you know, really played that well this year has been so impressive. I know Iowa, um, I know that's a, that's a questionable one, but, I mean, they won 10 games without an offense. I mean, that's, that's impressive. <laughs> you can't tell me any differently. Um, I think on the G5 side, I think uh, Toledo. I think uh, a lot of people, I think a lot of people missed Toledo this year. Um, I, I, they probably won't make a New Year's Six Bowl, but I mean, nonetheless, impressive to play as well as they played this year. That you know, finish finish the season ranked as a MAC team is. Oh rather- my goodness, John! Though, if with the New Year, pardon me, with the New Year's Six, with the G5, we have to say New Mexico State. Oh yeah, Jerry oh, Kill has yeah. just done something. Yeah, I mean, Jerry Kill has has done something that is. Mind blowing, and he was always a talented coach. And the reason, only reason, he, obviously, he left Minnesota wasn't a bad coach; was for health issues. And you know, he seems to have found you know his vibe. And uh, yeah, what what's going on there? I mean, they have a chance to get more wins. They still have two more games. They have a chance to get more wins than any New Mexico State team ever has. And let's be clear: before they had like a a piddling six win season, in, you know, about five years ago, they had the longest bowl drought in America. Their last bowl was like 1960. So. Um, to see what he's done there, you know, has to be up there. 
And I think they've got someone who would be happy to stay there and just ride off into the sunset as the Aggies coach. Because that would be the other terrible, you know, he, I, if any other person, I'd immediately think, oh, well, who's going to poach him? Like at this point, you got to take him. He just went, he took New Mexico State to back-to-back bowls. That's not something that happens there. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I think he really wants to stay there. And, and I think he, he's like the perfect fit. Like he's made New Mexico State meaningful in a way that anyone who's followed this sport for any extended period of time knows. That ain't something you associate with what goes on in Las Cruces. All yeah. respect to them. I love Mario Mocha. Their, their AD is one of the nicest guys I've ever talked to and ever dealt with. And, uh, and they, they do their best. They're trying their hardest to make people care because they know how, how hard it is for them. Yeah, I mean, I mean they went and beat an SEC team in their own house. I mean, I mean to get, I mean to get that many wins. They didn't just beat them. It wasn't the squeaker. Oh, yeah. That's what makes oh, it yeah, even they, more Oh, yeah, they beat the bricks off them. Yeah, I mean, usually to get that many wins from New Mexico State, you have to dust off your old copy of NCAA Football 14 to even think about a 10-win New Mexico State team. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's – I mean, it's an inc- incredible development over there. You know, Andrew, I know you wanted to add a team, or at least you had a thought on this. Um, I wanted to let you in on this. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of going off the beaten path a little bit because – I mean, you both have picked uh, teams that I would have gone with, Mizzou, certainly New Mexico State. Um, I got to say, just for New Mexico State, though, to your point, Bob, about him kind of being in the position to ride off into the sunset, that's going to be huge for New Mexico State uh, going forward because it kind of springs to mind for me, UCF, where – they had George O'Leary for over a decade, and he kind of, that stability rose them up in the rankings. But then for UCF, you had three head coaches in five seasons or so. It's that constant revolving door that can kill a program that's on the rise. But, you know, with kill probably going to stay there, um, that's, you know, that's positive news for them. I Maybe not necessarily unexpected, considering how they did last year, but I want to give props to James Madison because I am always a fan of a program that shakes up the paradigm. I mean, the the attorney general of Virginia was going to potentially sue the NCAA over that rule. Um, And also, I mean... They're 11 and 1 in their second year in FBS. That's insanity. Uh, same sort of deal with Jacksonville State. They're 8 and 4 in their first year at FBS. This, I, you're so used to teams making the transition, just doing horribly for the first couple of years. And then these teams are turning into like the Vegas Golden Knights and Seattle Kraken in the NHL. Um, expansion teams that are making the playoffs in their first season, basically. Uh, so it's, I got to say, you know, props to those two for just kind of breaking the mold and just getting quote unquote bull eligible for these two technically. But to me, that's, that's fairly impressive as well. Absolutely. And before I forget, also, folks, if you want to join the conversation, you can hit request. There's so many topics we could go on. What we're going on with the conference championships coming up, what happened this previous week, 
the head coaching carousel, which keeps on spinning again. It's it's actually I loved some of the videos we've seen, by the way. I don't know if you guys have seen both the the press conference with Mike Elko with all the the elderly AM fans linking arms and doing that the tradition they do where they all I don't know the song and I know it's got a song and I'm not trying to insult the tradition swinging from side to side. And then if you haven't seen um, Mississippi State, when they brought in Jeff Levy, they raised the athletic director at the airport on the shoulder and the fans and carried him off. I have friends who have a kid in the school, like they're going to a major university here and they're not from the United States and know anything about college football. And I've been having a ball sending them the videos of this stuff and saying all these people with cowbells carrying a man on their shoulders at a small airport in the middle of Mississippi. Imagine what that's like for people who have no idea what we're into. Like, I'm like, no, 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 this is what we do. And, you know, pictures of the big house when that, that field was full at the end. Like, they have no idea what's going on there. Um, or, you know, I don't know if you've heard about what's going on at UCLA, but they, it sounds like they're retaining Chip Kelly, much to the, uh, the, uh, the, the a lot of dis- disconcerted fans over there. So, there's some UCLA fan that oh, at least three times over the past five years hires a plane to carry a banner. And again, so another one was seen over Westwood um, asking for them to, uh, to fire Chip Kelly. So there's, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of wackiness in this sport. And hot damn, do I love, do I love seeing it. You know, I see um, Dr. Pepper Bucko. I'll let you up. And I know um, I see Ski Master Smith, your hands up. So did you want to add something real quick? And then I think Andrew has something as well. Yeah, that what he's talking about describing the college football experience to foreigners. That was something going into college I didn't expect to have to do, but it's it's one of those things that sort of shows you like college football is its own weird entity. Because I tried to compare it to you know European soccer to a lot of foreigners who were from Europe, and they're like they're like no in European soccer we don't we don't get this weird. There's no weird tradition such as such as I did have a classmate see the whole A and M thing where they're in the overalls and everything. And he just thought it was like a cold. And I was like, no, this is just normal college football. <laughs> no, this is just, yeah, it's, that's the thing. <laughs> <not explain colleges. laughs> oh goodness. Oh, I love that. You know, I, I know, uh, Andrew, you said your point was covered. So I'll get to, uh, uh, Dr. Pepper Bucko. What's going on. Thanks for your patience. Hey, uh, so, uh, first off, uh, hail the pit, uh, yeah, free of nine. So, uh, uh, what's your view on, uh, the Panther season? Yeah, well, that certainly was not, um, not a successful season at all. I mean, it had at least the moment where they upset Louisville that you can look at with a certain level of, you know, the team can be successful. Uh, but, but as a season that was by far nothing, I mean, I've heard different analysis on it. Is because, you know, how much of it was the offensive coordinator? How much of it was having, you know, the, a couple of key quarter, uh, you know, some really talented quarterback and and the ability to to maintain that season after season. But Pitt definitely had a disappointing season this year, and and, and there's no they they fell out of any kind of national consideration very quickly. Um, I know it's been disappointing. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? Are, are you impatient? Do you want to see it change? Well, well, yeah. The, so let's see. We faced Wolford. That somehow we should have blown them out even more. But uh, yeah. What was it? Was it forty some? It was forty-one to seven, right? Yeah, it was like forty-five to seven. Yeah, it's Wolford, it's Louisville, and it's BC. Those were the wins. So, 
How wild of a stretch is that? I mean, looking, I mean, now the more I even say that, you got a, a barely bowl eligible BC, an FCS Wofford, and then you got the a team that's going to the ACC championship. What a weird spread. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's a little bit on everything. So, like the quarterbacks that we did, Phil Dracovic, oh my God. He, he was not so great. Me- made a lot of not so great throws and then Penn State transfer uh Christian Felix it, it I think it's frozen uh Oh no no I can hear you. Oh. Yeah yeah no no absolutely yeah sorry I just I sometimes tend to mute when I'm not talking only because I don't like to hear I... people don't need to hear my breath. <laughs> but then but then Christian Felix which of course upset at Louisville after that, what did he really do? Uh, yeah, through four, inter- four interceptions. One of them was returned to the house by Notre Dame, which I got a lot of uh, crap for that. So, uh, yeah. Then uh, we moved on to, honestly, the guy that probably should have started in the first place, Nate Narnell. Last year, he had that Western Michigan game, which was definitely better. But the problem I see with Pitt is when they get a transfer quarterback, they they don't do good. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I was thinking about they, they picked up that USC um, quarterback, Kenan Slovis, Kenan Slovis, and that didn't work out. And then he went out. Slovis, um, Slovic, and Christian Velix. I think if you look a little bit back further, it was Max Gunn who also – came from USC, which, to be honest, he did got that season-ending injury, which, yeah, but they they never done good. <laughs> yeah, this was this was a chaotic season. I mean, the way the more I look at it, I didn't realize they've only had two games where they were able to rush more than 100. Uh, that's, that's stunning because Pitt's been about running the football and, and being able to, to be get good against the run themselves. Yeah, but yeah, it just it just didn't come together this season. I'm, I it, it, it and you're right. It's so funny because again, I haven't. I I know early on talking about Pitt exactly the quarterback disappointment. That was certainly something that, uh, especially with Phil Drinkovic, that was. I remember coming up quite early in the season, and, and a lot of BC fans kind of razzing the uh, the Pitt group, the Pitt fans over the the lack of success. But yeah, it seems this yeah. has been, and I wonder how much of it is because they did change. You know, because um, the offensive corner is what? Uh, it's Frank. Um, yeah. And so I wonder how much is that? I mean, how much do you think it, it, they should get a coordinator change? How much do you think they should change the, the head coach? I'm curious to hear what you think. Because Mark Whipple, obviously he yeah, left. Mark Whipple, yeah, Kenny's coach, which should be the quarterback's coach of the Steelers for probably. But that's, that's not the point here. But Frank Signetti took – Way too long to switch to quarterbacks. Like, Phil, yeah, when you looked at his stats through Notre Dame, then to Boston College, which ironically, after Frank and, well, Phil left, they improved. Doesn't that sound like the Steelers, but that's, eh. Yeah. I find it. But. <laughs> 
Well, I want to thank you for joining us about this. It's good to have a little conversation on Pitt. And hopefully next, I mean, you know, that we're, well, I hate to be the, do the next season cliche, but that seems to be where we are on that. And I'm sure, I'm sure things can work out um, if, they, if they change things up. Did they, did they actually fire Signetti? Yeah, they fired uh, yeah, yeah, I was about to say, yeah, they did. Sorry, I'm, my own brain is entirely working sometimes at night. Um, but yeah, so hopefully they get someone. Have they replaced him yet, though? I haven't paid attention because no. there's so much of the head coach, yeah. There's two things on Pitt. It's kind of like a Pittsburgh thing. When the, when the Panthers are favored, they lose. When they're an underdog, they win. But obviously that didn't really happen that season, but nah. Thanks. Thanks again, man. It was great talking to you. Hey, Jake, the uh, the hopster. What's going on? Hey, um, I just had a quick thought on on JMU. Um, I may be a Baylor bear, but I'm I'm from Virginia, and I every single person I know that goes to JMU is jazzed about their football program in a way that neither anybody at UVA or Virginia Tech is, and. I honestly think JMU is is a sleeping giant, and it would not surprise me in if in five or ten years JMU is in the Big Twelve or ACC. They they have the fan support. JMU is a large state school; like it's not a it's not a small. School. It's, yeah, it's not a tiny. It's school. not a tiny school. They they could ex- could expand their stadium a lot if they wanted to, and I honestly they could fit in perfectly with the new Big Twelve or the new ACC whenever that allegedly happens. You know, being a really large school in a populated state like Virginia does sort of fit that mold of what UCF did. Because that's what I think UCF was able yeah. to rely on, being an enormous state school um, and put money in. You know, I've I've talked to Jeff Bourne before, the AD, and he's retiring, and he deserves so much credit for this. Because his his because um, before I even interviewed him, I did a lot of research, and, and the, the very deliberate path that JMU used to move towards FBS is, is a big reason why success is nice to see, but not at all surprising. I don't think any FCS program ever did what they did in terms of like, you know, at one point conference USA was trying to attract them, you know, about 10 years ago, maybe a little less than 10 years ago. And they said, no, thank you. Um, we'll, we'll just stay. And actually I think it was a Sunbelt. Pardon me. No, I think I've got it backwards. The, the Sunbelt when it was not as flashy, tried to attract them and they were holding out for like conference usa which is so weird to say that now because now those <laughs> yeah, those conferences have certainly reversed right but um it you know they were so deliberate in in building facilities building the stadium up to a point where it would be full but they could they you know but it was expanding it and you're absolutely right they they could be in a situation where they could expand that stadium with the amount of of energy they've had because they want to you know they they did really well at fcs and came right up and, and continued that success so far. And, yeah, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And I agree. They, uh, if they were able to get that and maintain that, they certainly wouldn't be out of line um, for sure. John, I know you wanted to chime in on this because you're a Virginia guy as well. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, mean I, I think that's a long, long-term path, I think, for them, the, the move. I think there's a, there's a lot of fill-up at the top right now on these uh, – on these power, uh, power, I guess power four. It's weird to say out loud, power four, but power four conferences. Um, actually, I did have a different question. This talking about F- FCS going to uh, FBS. Uh, I, I imagine you saw the news about Delaware this week, and I know previously we talked about, yeah, uh, you know, the, the potential backfill of teams going to two, uh, 
Conference USA or other conferences with all this uh, conference realignment. I'm kind of curious. Yeah. Think what team? I guess Team Twelve would be for Conference USA at this point because I think they're going to be at eleven with Kennesaw State coming in next year. That's actually a great question. I hadn't even thought about who the next one would be. You know, I did see that. I really, really briefly mentioned it at the beginning of the show when it's firing up. So probably like five people were on at that point. But the uh, yeah. So for those who don't know. We're going to get another team because Kennesaw State's coming next year and they announced it a few years ago. So there's always like a little bit of delay. So in 2025, um, so two seasons from now, which is crazy to say that because 2025, I mean, I grew up in the, the 80s. So these, these years sound crazier the more I say them, right? But um, Delaware, the Blue Hens are going to be in Conference USA. If you've, you've may have, you may have seen them before when you turned on the TV and thought you were watching Michigan, but it turns out it wasn't Michigan because it was an FCS program because they have a very similar uniform and helmet. And to be clear, Delaware, I don't believe, stole it from Michigan. Everyone stole it from Princeton. Princeton came up with the winged helmet design, and their colors are totally different, but they're the ones that invented that, that style of helmet. But uh, they have a very similar color scheme, and so we're going to see uh, another team that has that vague look. Which um, which will be interesting to see. But again, a couple of years from now, who the next team would be is a great question. I, I that Delaware thing, and maybe I just haven't. Th- this has been such a wild season that I, I maybe I just haven't been paying as much attention. But that it didn't it it surprised me, but didn't shock me. Like I would have expected them to be a team that could have stepped up because they've had a historic amount of success. But coming from what is more closer than the Northeast than anything else. It's just never where you expect a new FBS program to come from. John, I'll let you reply. I see Ski Masks Murphy, and I also want to get the rest of you up who have been been patient and waiting. Uh, and uh, Kobe, I know I'll, I'll get to you right after that. John, what's going on? Yeah, um, I was just going to say I, I have a little, little bit of Virginia bias, but I can see a team like potentially like Richmond moving up. Richmond's been a very uh, successful program over the last several decades. Uh, continuous top twenty apparent uh, rankings in the on in the on the FCS level, and you know in in that regional area um, as well with Liberty and Delaware. So, uh, if I had to throw a potential guess, um, that would be you know the team I'd point for first. Oh, that's an interesting one too. Yeah, no, I agree. Richmond would be solid, although I, I get creeped out by spiders. But we'll set that aside altogether. Ski Max Murphy, what's going on? Oh uh, well, quickly to counter John's point. Even though the University of Richmond has been a very good program for them to move up to FBS, they don't really have the support of the city here in Richmond because just the way the university is sort of located, sort of separated and walled off from the rest of the city is in like a very particular area that's not exactly easy to get to. So that's going to be something they have to change to get if they want to move up. But then also I wanted to note with this whole Delaware thing, one for JMU guys, uh, they get to renew their rivalry between JMU and Delaware, which would be fun to see, not the FBS level. But I think the bigger thing is that Delaware becomes the first team moving from FCS to FBS that now has to pay the new fee, which yeah. used to be 5000 is now $5 million. Yep. So I wonder if Delaware is like, way more confident in what they can do versus other schools that have moved up because – now it's not like you know, pay five thousand and you know get a bump in um in revenue. Now it's like I'm paying five million and you know this has to work. Yeah, it was interesting too when that announcement came out. The interviews with coaches who could theoretically move up, or I should say, athletic directors. Um, and I forgot who who did the story. It might have been Texas football. I can't remember, but it was basically across the board. Surprisingly, the answer was that's not going to be a deterrent. 
Like, I think the teams that were willing to move saw it. At, at the bigger issue, and it was actually on the back end of this, what the requirements are, is they have to be also able to pour money into kind of a pool to protect their players and athletes if they get injured, things like that. So they wanted, they were forcing their, the $5 million did feel like the NCAA just wants to shake them down. But the, the bigger commitment was on the back end where they had to be able to also prove that they could commit a certain amount of funding to build up the, uh, to build up the program into something that could support the players in that kind of circumstance. Um, let's see here. Andrew, I know you wanted to add something. And then Kobe, I want to get to you since you're up here and, and I'm going to try to get to everybody. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of looping back my James Madison point from a little bit ago. I'm curious to get your take and maybe someone else if they're interested. Given the success of JMU and Jacksonville State and kind of the the newfound attention to this, in my opinion, arbitrary bowl ineligibility period, do you think with new teams coming, do you think the NCAA is going to start to revisit this eligibility rule in time for, I don't know, Kennesaw State or more likely in time Delaware or whoever comes down the pike? Well, I don't think they can do a whole lot to stop it, only because eventually you get into a situation where they've shown they'll blink if you challenge them. Liberty proved that because Liberty... Um, eventually ha- was able to force their way up to FBS because they said, look, no no conference wants us, but we have all the ability to do it. Stop giving us this arbitrary rule. Well, it wasn't arbitrary rule. It was university had to have a conference, and I don't think it was aimed at liberty at all. But uh, if, if a ch- team really wants to do it, they will get let up, and, and I don't think they can really stop them. You know, I want to allow Kobe uh, an ch- opportunity to talk because um, I don't want to get too far afield here. Uh, Kobe, what's going on? You've been super patient, and I see you, James Blake, and Will. Hi, thank you. Um, so my question is, I mean, this is this kind of maybe ties into like, um, uh, like, like the NCAA in general, and sometimes how what they do uh, uh, doesn't really make sense. But um, so my guys want to know about. Um, the college football playoff like committee in general in their rankings and like when Reese Davis asks like Boo Boo Corgan he just like gives very vanilla answers like I just um, I'm kind of at the point where I don't really understand like, the rankings and like we don't really understand why people are ranked where they are like uh, like. Like, why is Oregon ranked ahead of Texas and Alabama? And, like, why is Tennessee in? And, like, why is, like, uh, Tulane and Liberty in? But, like, ah, 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 ah. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. it just all doesn't really make sense. No, no, you know, and, and it's frustrating because the they are somewhat, they're continuously contradictory in some regards. And the way they... And, and I know Andrew would attest to this. The way he, he's very good at answering questions in a way that doesn't really entirely answer them. Um, it's kind of, he isn't terrible. There have been worse. Um, but it's always kind of a game to try and, and pin it down and pin down maybe just a specific answer. Like Andrew, as he mentioned at the beginning of this, he was asking Boo about why Oregon was ahead of Ohio State. And he was able to at least say that they were favoring the fact that what must have impressed the committee the most, and we don't know exactly what goes on in there, 
Um, but it was the fact that Oregon was able to, to manage to, to hold Oregon State um, to only a handful of points when they'd been scoring 34 points consistently. But at the same time, we heard something from Bill Hancock in the middle of his answers where he said the most he was he took he took um well i don't want to say he, he was upset but he clarified that they don't look at the most deserving they don't phrase it that way when they examine teams they look at the supposed best teams um and they're supposed to look at the teams fresh each week it's not clear how fresh they look at them um and also they have a they whenever anyone tries to kind of put them into a corner on a specific thing like head to head or conference champion or things like that. They, he kind of retreats to, well, we have many things we look at many of these inputs. Oh gosh, there's a certain term of art. He loves to use this, but um, there, there's many factors that they, they look into. And so we're never entirely clear. And you're absolutely right. They'll say, you know, head to head matters, or they'll say, you know, uh, record matters, you know, the, the, the resume, the look test, we don't, and one day they'll say, we don't really look at the look test. Another day they'll say, we favor the resume. And then you'll see there's contradictions. For a while there, Florida State was still ranked ahead of a Washington team that certainly had a better resume uh, in terms of the team they'd be. But at the same time, Ohio State was put all the way at the top initially because they said their resume was really strong. So we've seen the committee is frustrating for that very reason. I think we're seeing this season in particular, we're seeing the very limit of what they could do with four team slots. I think the problem is, frankly, quite a few of these teams are interchangeable. It's, it's hard to really parse. You really, there's no way to pick, I think, any, the, especially if we end up with a one loss potential. If, if one of the four undefeated teams loses, we're, we're, we're going to see some real squirming. If more than one loses, it's going to get bonkers. I mean, it's going to be chaos in any situation, but... If they don't all win out, and even Florida State is going to be challenged by a lot of people. If if all four win out, Florida State is going to be receiving, and I'm not saying they deserve it. I'm just saying the amount of vitriol that's going to be towards them, especially if Texas wins out and is one of the challengers for that, is, is, is going to be absolutely fascinating. So it's a tough season for this, and I think we're seeing a good reason of why we reach the limit of what they can do and why 12 teams is going to be better. I'm a big, strong advocate of the 12-team playoff. Or at least, you know, 18 would have been great, but 12, I'll take it. But um, the uh, <laughs> I think at this point, though, we, we've reached that limit because, again, they, they, what, trying to come up with the excuses for, for what they're doing, it, it sometimes runs into some, some weak spots. Ski Mask Smurphy, I know your hand is up, and, and then I'll get back to you as well, uh, Dr. Pepper Bucko. I would agree with you that they reached their limit with the 14 playoff because, I mean, originally when everyone was pushing to have a college football playoff instead of just just the BCS title, everyone wanted at least eight so that there'd be, you know, less of a chance that things just come to a head at the end of the season. And, I mean, they've avoided it a few times but still had controversy with some of their picks. But I think this season is the one season where it's like in the last three weeks of the regular season, you know, none of the teams fell off. They all just lost to another candidate. And I think we this is sort of like the last season – where even if they didn't have this whole team playoff where it's going to be a push and it's like, it's going to be chaos because all we need is just one team in that top four to lose outside of um, Washington because they lose to Oregon and basically Oregon would be in. If Georgia, us at Michigan or um, Florida State lose, it's, it's going to be too much chaos for them to really try to explain in a good manner. 
Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, it's crazy to think that if Georgia were to lose, there, there is a pretty reasonable chance they may not make the Final Four, which is astonishing. Like, I, I don't know if I even believe it, you know, but at the same time, I've heard convincing ways that could turn out. Um, okay, Dr. Pepper Bucko, I, I know your hand's up. I wanted to let you have that, that retort, and then I'm going to try and let it Blake. All right. So, like, yeah, like, I agree I agree with all of you, like, like the, like, like about like the you know all this and all that like having like you know let's say if Georgia loses Alabama like they they could be out in that and like that's yeah why we need the twelve team playoff next year but also like the twelve team playoff so there's twelve like conferences right right well there's there, there's ten well there's <laughs> there might be nine depends on how we count what's left of the back oh, yeah, back two right, right now though. but uh. But, you know, I mean, certainly, though, the way it's going to be designed, it's going to be looks like the um, the five and seven model where the the P basically what it means without saying it, it's the P4 and the best G5 program would get guaranteed spots. Uh, G5 champion, I should say. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. seven, seven at large spots. Yeah. OK. But but yeah, like also speaking of it, like Florida State, let's say like I, I, I don't know how they how they made it to possibly the final four they don't lose to ironically louisville but like also speaking of like the seminoles like how how would you evaluate the games let's let's just like switch it off topic like real quick like that like because like i don't know it's eh. yeah and anyways yeah. Your, your call your call yeah, yeah, no, no. I really appreciate your your contributions. Yeah, Florida State. I, I just keep thinking about how wacky that game was with Florida. I mean, the I've heard it called the spit and quit, but at that moment where uh, freshman defensive lineman Jamari Lyons got ejected for uh, in the second quarter for spitting at one of the Florida State guards, um, you know, that was the moment where the game turned. They went from being in the lead to Florida State going on a twenty-four to three run afterwards. So that was that was a, an interesting win, uh, an interesting game. Um, we also had that that uh, Rodemaker get hit by a dual targeting, um, where two of the players went after his head. Um, he didn't have a great game either. Rodemaker, we were all curious to see how he was going to do. I mean, you're replacing a Heisman candidate who got. I mean, again, the injury was just awful, and without the star quarterback, you're looking at well, who, what's the team we're seeing now? We saw a quarterback who went 48% of his passes, um, although he made a key fourth down conversion. Uh, he briefly left the game, so we were wondering if we are we on now the third string quarterback, but luckily he came back. They they managed to weather the storm. I'm curious how Louisville's going to do against them, only because Louisville's got a great running game. Uh, they got Jawar Jordan, they got um, Isaac uh, Guerno, uh, and uh, I think that is actually the Florida State's defense is good, but their weak spot has been the running game. So defending the running game. So that might be something for them. Um, I do, again, I do a, a playoff show uh, with uh, one of the, the folks from CBS Sports, Sean J. Raja, and we were actually doing some predictions today. And I, I kind of wanted to walk back my predicted score. I said, if Louisville wins, it's going to be, you know, something close. I think it's will be close, but it's going to be an ugly game and it's going to be in the low scoring game. So if Louisville manages to win that game, it'll probably be like, 21 to to you know 21 to 17 or something like that but i mean i think a lot of teams are hoping for that any team that wants a chance sees that mm -hmm. as one of the yeah. realistic games yeah. all right hey, also one more thing so 
would what like let's hypothetically say the ACC refs hypothetically this year have been not so well. Would would that play a part in the uh, Florida State and Louisville game? So, like you know, it'll probably go to Florida State and then they'll make the Final Four. Like, well, their probably... their only hope, the only hope for the ACC is Florida State winning out. Then they have to hope. Yeah, that. They, they, they the committee to... is going to say they have to hope the like, committee is going like, to say did, we who can't. Do got, who, who do they got? Like. Well, Florida State would have the win against LSU for sure, but the problem, and not that LSU's been astonishing, although they certainly have, I think, one of the three Heisman finalists, if not arguing on how you define this Heisman, maybe potentially the person who should win the Heisman. But the, uh, I think really it's going to be the committee faced with the, the situation of can we possibly say no to an undefeated conference champion from the ACC? Because if they say anything, if they, if they say no, we're not going to let him in, that's going to really cause some some ultimate chaos, I think, in the sense that it's going to undercut a lot of the message they've been trying to convey about how much they value conference champions, um, particularly an undefeated conference champion. But again, if we're looking at how you know the March Madness Committee picks them for the NCAA basketball tournament, it's the team that's going to be in the tournament. And at this point, at least from what we saw in the first game, um, with Rodemaker as a starting quarterback, the, the game, the team we're seeing doesn't necessarily feel like a Final Four team if we're looking at playoff. But, you know, they, I feel the committees maybe have backed itself into a corner. You know, Blake, I want to let you have in on this because you've been really patient. I want to get to the folks who are waiting to talk. And then Ski Master Murphy, I'll try to work you in as well. Blake, what's going on? Oh, no, uh, my point's a little different than the current one, so I don't want to change it. If anyone no, has no, it's any okay. Care. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. Okay, I was going to say, I heard some NMSU talk earlier, and I thought, why not bring up the better school down the road, the UTEP? Now, I know there's a lot of joy and elation, you know, back-to-back bowl games, and you're, in the first year of the conference, you go to the conference championship for NMSU, but, you know, UTEP's sitting here 3-9, and nine, and, you know, the, some of the happiest people on earth, because the bad man's gone. Dana Dimmel is finally fired after going 20-49 and 49 in six years. It's He's such gone. a tough job, but so is New Mexico State. So if anything, they just saw what the right person in the right job can do. Because Jerry Kill is the right person for, for New Mexico State. There's no way there's no way you can doubt that right now. But I wonder, and it's been interesting too, because it's fascinating when a program like UTEP comes open to see the kind of names that get tossed around. Like, you know, I, and some of these initial lists end up completely missing the you know, every now and again, the list will include someone. But I mean, I was just thinking Syracuse. They just hired Fran Brown, the the DB coach from Georgia. That he was not on the initial list, but he's the one who they ended up hiring. Because I still don't understand what's wrong with Jason Campbell. I'm shocked no one has picked him up. But we'll set that aside. Um, but the one, the names you see kind of out there are all over the place. The one I like the most, which feels like such a left out of left field choice, but the guy is like a rising star. Is I could not believe, and I'm wondering, is like, is this an age just kind of feeding somebody who's writing this article? But Chris McCullough, who his name people may not know because he's a super young coach, he's in Division Two, but he managed to take, um, you know, I think it was like East Central, the an Oklahoma D2 school, and get them going. And then now he's at University of Texas Permian Basin, UTPB. And uh, he got Permian base and also looking good. So uh, I heard him as like this, this kind of wild card choice, but I'm kind of like, if you're going to a program like UTEP, you've got to 
either get someone who is comfortable, so comfortable in like the later part of their career. Because also, I remember when they had Mike Price, that also kind of fit that bill. Like someone who's in the late, you know, he's gone through, it was Mike Price after he had uh, been for a hot minute, the coach of Alabama. If you don't know that story, it's worth looking up. Um, the, uh, you know, so he kind of found his way to UTEP. But um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I don't know who the, who the candidate I'll expect to see there. Because it's, again, after seeing what, Jerry Kill has done with New Mexico State. UTEP certainly has to feel like, wait, why can't we do that? And why can't we find that right person who can turn this program around and turn it into something that can at least be competitive? I, I know a popular one is the UNLV offensive coordinator. I forget his name, but he's pretty popular, at least within our own sports anchor talks. Yeah, that's um, the, um, Mar- the name um, I want. Brennan. It's Sorry. Brennan Marion. Brennan Marion. He's come up for a couple of jobs. Oh, okay. I was going to say the name I want is going to sound a little weird, but it's a little full circle. Gary Patterson. <laughs> he wants to get back into head coaching. I mean, he's come up for Houston, but I don't know if how desperate he wants to get back into head coaching. No, because <laughs> that would be an interesting choice, though. I mean, he would he would be an interesting one there. Um, maybe they'll get the the classic person who's willing to coach anywhere, just hire him, and that's Terry Bowden because. You know, Akron, he was fired now from Louisiana Monroe. <laughs> He'd take any job, it feels like, at this point. He is, he's the ultimate, you know, just I'll take whatever, just hire me, um, and I'll run it semi-competently um, enough to... He probably talks to boosters really well. I'm convinced that's part of the reason why he gets hired where he does. Um, let's see here. I want to uh, let someone else up as well. I know I saw Will has been super patient. I'm going to let him up there. Goodness, so much going on there. And again, if you want to also talk Heisman talk. Oh, by the way, one other person that I was surprised, and this is this is not a he was fired. This is or quote unquote retired like Brady Hoke. This one I think really is a retirement. Dan Hawkins, who some of you may remember as Colorado's head coach. I remember when he he was the first person to really get Boise State, I think national attention, because Dan Hawkins got Boise State kind of in these just wildly successful seasons. And then he leaves to take Colorado. Chris Peterson's first season was the Fiesta Bowl where they defeated Oklahoma and everyone really got to know Boise State. So Hawkins kind of did not have a good – he didn't – it's so funny. They consider him a flop at Colorado, but my goodness, then the coaches that came after him managed to flop even worse. Um, But, uh, you know, so he ended up at his – in TV for a few years. Then ended up, I believe, his alma mater, which is UC Davis because he he started as a small – school head coach in the west coast um like up at willamette a d3 school in oregon but he was there for several years i think he had winning seasons in eight of his nine years there um but he said he wants to retire and spend time with his grandkids up in montana which sounds plausible so i just wanted to to point that out that was that was a head coach stepping down who i i again he's he's such a wild guy not not wild guy is the wrong word he's like the the different head coach you know i mean he was known for his zen sayings when he was at Boise State and then they they criticized him a lot about it at Colorado and he famously had a radio interview where he was like you know it's division one you know it's division one football it ain't intramurals brother um and uh that kind of has carried with him forever but before that he he was quite a successful coach and since then he, he had UC Davis in a situation where where they were being quite competitive I mean really they were at one year, it just came down to the fact that Sac State with Troy Taylor, who's now the Stanford head coach, was was rising up there and giving him trouble because they were rivals. But um, setting that aside, Will, what's going on? 
so sort of my quick question I wanted to field was or ask was, uh, do you think that uh, Oregon State and Wazoo uh, sort of find a home in either the Big 12 or Big 10? Uh, sort of the Big Ten perspective coming from after they integrate uh, USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon, they see that travels a little bit too much, uh, choose into the uh, football budget a little bit too much for them, or it's just too much for the players. And so that they try to find more West Coast uh, schools for Oregon and those teams to play. Uh, and sort of going off the point, I think as much as funny as it would be for Oregon State and Washington in Washington State to ban Oregon and Washington from the Pac-12 championship this weekend, I think they they wouldn't do it simply because more so that they sort of need friends and maybe it's a way of positioning themselves for future invites into the Big Ten further down the line. Well, I think realistically, they have no shot at getting into the Big Ten. The Big Ten is just not it, the big it, the way it's interesting. There was a shift that in how conferences are now looking at potentially merging uh, or probably not merging, but but taking on teams. And they really are looking at what brings the most TV ratings when they play. And that's it, it's less about TV market. It's actually a national branding because they've learned, especially maybe this is a shift in how people consume college football. But they learned that being in a, a TV footprint doesn't have the same value. Maybe that's because people are being more narrowly focused in how they target the teams they want to watch on any given Saturday or whatever day of the week they're playing. Um, I think that I, I want to clarify that because you brought up the whole the whole battle over the uh, the control of the Pac-12. Um, you know, I've I've talked about it not a little bit here in pre not in this not tonight, but uh, on previous shows and also um, in other capacities for uh, for another podcast I work on with um, uh, the Advanced Media Group. I I have a background in law. I'm not going to say I'm an expert on how these organizations are run. Uh, it's not necessarily the area I specialize in. But to be clear, this is one of this is this whole drama of what's going on in the Pac-12 and the control of it has been overstated to a level I, I'm a little personally annoyed by because it feels like there is there is a battle for control, but the control battle isn't one where we're going to see anything of substance happen that is different than maintaining the Pac-12. And the question is, do we prioritize Oregon and Oregon, pardon me, Oregon State and Washington State focusing on finding new members, which wouldn't happen this year, but in the future, or do we um, worry about operating it the way it, it was meant for the, the entirety of the 12 teams, like as though this is just a full season. And then after this season, let the remaining teams do whatever they want with it. That, that's the battle that's currently happening. And it's based on assuming that the other side might have bad faith. There's an assumption that, and because you see it in their legal arguments, Oregon, and the problem is, I don't think any of these parties really genuinely believe that the other team would do, the other schools would do it. Um, because, if a team were to act in a way where either Oregon State and Washington State harmed the other 10 teams or the other 10 teams harmed Oregon State and Wazoo, under every historic precedent, the, uh, the, the aggrieved group would win. They would absolutely be able to go after the other two for violating their responsibility as a fiduciary on the board to the entirety of the, the conference and its members. Um, but that fear that the other side is going to do something not in their best interest is what led to this battle for control. 
neither side can say they can gain control and and then do whatever they want. Um, that that's certainly not it. The best thing I could see out of this, and I've heard this uh, in in some of it, is Oregon State and Washington State want the opportunity to start the planning for what happens next. Um, and and I get that, and that I absolutely. Uh, sympathize with and support. It's just unfortunately turned quite acrimonious. I think the latest update was um, the Washington Supreme Court, the, the state of Washington Supreme Court has um, stepped back a little bit of the, the decisions being made because they, they filed it in a, and I get no disrespect for the judge. They, they filed it in a very small court in, um, I forgot the name of the county, but it's a county by Wazoo, filing a complicated case over how to run an organization in a board, that's not what that judge will typically see. That's something you tend to see in larger markets, not because uh, in any way assaulting the judges, uh, assailing the judges' qualifications, but it's just not something he's normally, it's like why people form corporations in Delaware. They have the court of chancery. So it's not that it favors companies, it's that they're, the, they're known for having answers and they get very clear-cut answers and businesses want clear-cut answers. So handing it to a small county judge he made a decision that apparently the Supreme Court of Washington didn't entirely agree with. So we're going to be ping-ponging back and forth probably until the conference is done at this rate. I would not be surprised if this just delays things inevitably. But uh, the only reason I bring that up is the idea of, of Oregon State and Washington State having any leverage to force their way into the Big Ten by using um, the ability to control what the Pac-12 does is is not realistic it just it simply is not and whether or not they have a home in the big 12 or big 10 the big 10 i almost say is 100 percent no the big 12 they don't sound interested um i i'm not sure i mean it, it's it's the whole thing is a tragedy because we've seen now jonathan smith obviously jump ship over to michigan state um that is not the most optimistic thing i i you know re reportedly there's at least 10 schools, I mean, a credible report, there's 10 schools that have offered million-dollar incentives for Wazoo's quarterback, Cam Ward, to try and lure him. It, it's The whole situation is is quite ugly on this. Um, but realistically, I'm not sure that, uh, that, that we're going to see anything change too much. I see two hands up, and then I'd love to get to some of the folks that have been patient. Uh, Ski Mask Smurphy, I saw your hand up first, then John. Hey. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, I did sort of want to change pace a little bit because you brought up the Cam Ward situation with at least 10 schools offering at least a million dollars, which is on the surface something that sounds crazy. And I've been seeing um, tweets and posts from people related to universities reaching out to Arch Manning as well after his game against uh, Texas Tech, which I didn't see anything too amazing, but Quinn Ayers isn't leaving, so Arch, has, Arch is probably going to have to go somewhere. But I, well, think, I think Malik Murphy, Malik Murphy's the guy who's going to probably leave Texas. I think at this point he's like, all right, well, <laughs> I don't, no one will blame him if he leaves. Yeah, but Quinn Harris is he? That's his. That's his spot. But this whole the new life of the transfer portal and NIL, this intermixing, we've just seen everything go crazy. I mean, even though he dominated the first half of the season as far as media and engagement for ESPN with Dion, I mean. He's losing recruits, and people are a little overreacting with just five D commits in a week, which isn't really too strange for this time of year. But knowing how overall, like the madhouse that has been, because even even with knowing particular people who who were very who were related to very good football players, the things that they would tell me as far as offers that were being made 
especially particularly one player, it behind closed doors the numbers get out of hand. Even even to the point that I that I was alerted that a major player uh, season, yeah, a major player during the off season between two. 2021 and 2022 that he was moving a week before it even happened and the numbers that were being laid out to me I was like yeah this it's almost on the table of like this is almost illegal and they're just doing the things they used to do but now they can sort of get away with it oh yeah absolutely I mean is anyone shocked that uh, SMU now has managed to buy its way into the ACC <laughs> it's like this, this is just the big this is this is their moment um, yeah, I want to allow us. Uh, let's see. Seed oil lover. I, I, I see you're up here. Have you had a chance to unmute? Um, love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think I'm off here right now. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. Um, uh, I, I mean, I think since the transfer portal's inception, there's been just a bunch of conflict of interest. But curious because it opens, what is it, December 4th? Yeah, I know it opens soon because we're in the middle of everyone announcing their intention to I'm, move into it. It's like Black Friday for college football players. Yeah, I'm just curious as to like how teams that are headed to playoff games navigate transfer portal being open. And like, is that not just a massive conflict of interest with players on your roster looking to go elsewhere and vice versa? Well, conflict of interest is interesting. I don't think we're going to see key players on you know uh, playoff teams start to 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 necessarily depart i i don't know if a backup would ever have the gall to say like you know please please play me in this game otherwise i'm leaving any coach will say like well you just aren't a fit here um in those circumstances but um it is a complication by all means i mean that's why we're seeing the i mean the biggest effect is the coaching cycle that's the big race i think that's why texas a&m moved so quickly i mean we we all remember how that went was it going to be Stoops, and then suddenly, nope, it's not Stoops. No, it's it's going to be Mike Elko. I know a bunch of people who are covering that who were just whiplash with how fast that one turned around. Um, and Jonathan Smith, obviously at Michigan State, um, Levy at Mississippi State. You know, we're getting all of these coaches in place uh, because they want to get ahead of that because they know um, this is their opportunity to build up that program and and fill in those holes that they might see in that roster. Um, I mean, for as disastrous as the USC season went this year, I mean, certainly, I mean, actually, no, let's even take, let's take USC season and set it aside. Let's take USC and set it aside because they're not relevant. Uh, let's look at the three Heisman finalists right now, the ones that are expected to be the three Heisman finalists, Bo Nix, Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix Jr., all three of those guys are transfers. Um, so it, it says so much about why you need to get those, why you need to get your coach in so that you can get the player that might be the one that carries the team. So I know it's a headache for coaches. I know none of them are thrilled about that. I know one of the complaints that we hear from some of the top coaches, the coaches who are in such the most comfortable positions where they're not in any way challenged, is this cycle, the way it's evolved with the portal and the way recruiting has become truly all year round has started to be, in some of their minds, extremely negative to the, the, the work of coaches because they're really worried about burnout. It, I get it. I sympathize for, I think, the coaches who might be on lower division teams. I don't necessarily sympathize for the coach that's getting, you know, $5 million, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, or more. Um, or you don't buy sympathize out. with the Chip Kellys? Yeah, it, it, it's a little harder to do that. <laughs> By the way, you know, while I'm talking, I just want to say, this would never happen, but I was trying to work out what would be the most drama-filled 
player to be poached. Not for not for like and something that would be just so stupid and would fill the news. Imagine if Shador Sanders went to USC to play for Lincoln Riley. That would never happen. I'm not saying that would happen. But I'm just imagining like if I was thinking like what would generate the most ridiculous headlines, that would be it. That that would be my choice. That would be so stupid, but so funny at the same time that that I couldn't resist. But uh um I don't think it would work, and I think for a lot of reasons it would be a disaster. But uh but yeah, man, I really do appreciate uh, appreciate you joining us. It's been good to Good to get that perspective on this. You know, John, I see your hand up. I want to let you in. And I know Ski Master Murphy, but we also have um, several other people I want to let up as well. And again, Seed uh, Oil, feel free to, to stick around. It, it's totally fine. We'd love to have people just stick around up here if, if they want to still chime in. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I was sorry. Um, actually, I had a completely different question. So if there's people you want to pull up, then uh, I can stay on mute. We can come back to myself later. All right. No problem. No problem. Hey, Ski Master Murphy, do you have a thought? And then, Nate, I've got you up here right now. Yeah, just a quick thought in that, uh, yeah, I think the coaches are sort of struggling with an extreme loss of power and control of the players because, I mean, the transfer portal was in works for a few years, and then the NCAA just rushed an IL, and you just had them both at the same time because I know originally before the transfer portal, it was always, well, I mean, still every scholarship is only one year, and your coach has to sign on to renew your scholarship each year. That was a lot of power they had. But also, in order to play for another school, your coach had to sign off for that. And even then, you still had to sit out a year. And so, the transport is what you erased that in an IO. So, I can see why the coaches, especially the bigger ones, have gotten upset because they have, they really don't have any control like they used to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, it looks like Nate, uh, Nate dropped. So, if he gets back, feel free to join in. Let's see here. I'm going to let you up Creek Water, um, get you up here. Oh, boy, I wonder if this is – oh, it's Oklahoma State. Because yeah, Creekwater, I'm like, you know, the team that I always think of when it comes to any creek is Beautiful Eagle Creek uh, by uh, uh, Georgia Southern. The, 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 they love to talk about that. It's part of it's part of an inside joke because if you've ever seen it, it's like a drainage ditch. They know that. They, it's, it's part of the uh, – they love to call it the Beautiful Eagle Creek. Creekwater, what's going on? Oh, hadn't unmuted there, so – uh, oh, it looks like it dropped you and you're now an uh, option for a speaker. So I'll go ahead and let you back up right now and also let up Maryland fan. Um, we'll get you up here as well. Um, and then, oh, and Nate, I see you're also now in the requesting group as well. So we'll get you all up here. We'll get to everybody. Maryland, uh, Maryland fan, you, you, I see you up here already. Let's go ahead and unmute you. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I'll tell you my ridiculous dream right now. My ridiculous dream is that Frank Reich become the head coach at Maryland. I would love that, but I don't think that would that would ever happen. <laughs> um, yeah, and I wonder if they, gosh, is Maryland, you know, Maryland has been such a frustrating team to watch. I think that's that's one hundred percent it because I mean we've seen them kind of inexplicably start strong. I mean we've, the jokes are are endless about September Maryland versus you know the rest of the season Maryland, but I, I'm surprised when are they are they ever going to pull a trigger and and make a change there? Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, they—they yeah. they were so close against Michigan. They were so close. They were the closest. That's the amazing thing. They were the closest team yeah. to knocking off Michigan, yeah. and uh, and they finished off. At least they beat up Rutgers. Isn't terrible this year, but uh, um, they they managed to at least finish up with a with a strong victory to to wrap up the season. But it is is absolutely fascinating the Michael Oxley experience right now. I, I could not, I could not tell you. And I mean. Maybe is it because it's the first season for Josh Gaddis and Kevin Sumlin? Actually, didn't the 
Kevin Thumman, I think, is gone next year because of what he did recently. So. Oh yes, I forgot about the arrest. Yeah, it was drunk driving, correct? Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a no-no. I just, I just want to be clear. It's that so that we're not like, wait, what did he do? Like, it wasn't like you know, he because <laughs> there's been history of the coaches doing terrible things to people, and that one, that one's bad. That's a personal uh, failure in a lot of ways, but it wasn't, you know. Um, but I could see that, unfortunately, coming back to be a reason why they wouldn't necessarily retain him. But um, yeah, no, it. Huh. Yeah, I'm curious to see what how much more they give Loxley because I I think Maryland would want more, but it's such an awkward time in the Big Ten because of the of the change up of the lineup, the the new teams from the Pac-12. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see. Uh, I'm also, I'm interested to see what we do in the transfer portal now that Talia is graduating. So. Yeah, he has been absolutely both the 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 most because I mean he he basically scored 11 points from. Michigan in that yeah. game and yeah. you know to be clear for those who don't know that game was 31 24 so um he was both the he, he both giveth and taketh away so um it'll be really interesting to see who they go for next there's going to be a lot of good quarterbacks in that portal so it's going to be interesting to see um and especially some who may not be initially in the portal but have probably getting overtures from everywhere right now I'm sure every quarterback worth a damn out there is getting has having people aim at them and, and in fact it's kind of funny you know talking about the, the the coaching carousel part of the reason that tom allen was let go at indiana and what has been criticized for him is that he did not have a plan in place for the portal i mean now look at Penix, you know right now as a heisman finalist um on a team that's undefeated and naming up the national championship i mean there's a lot it wasn't just him but there's a lot of that like if you're not ready if you're not ready to just to, to reload using the portal if you get poached it's a poached and be poached world out there um, you got to be uh, you got to be ready for it. Uh, what can I say? Um, yeah, thank you so much for your input on this. This is so good to have you up here. I really appreciate it, man. Of course. Um, let, always. Let's see here. Nate, you've been super patient. And then I will get to uh, Creek Water. Hey, how are we doing? Good, man. How are you? Not bad at home. I'm making some seafood gumbo Tuesday night. Wonderful week. Oh, uh, anyways, <laughs> I wanted to talk about the coaching carousel. Um, I heard you mention it um, a little bit earlier about I guess you were kind of watching the whole uh, Stoops and Elko thing unfold. Um, I, I want to know where were you when Mark Stoops was the coach of Texas A&M for about an hour and a half Saturday night? <laughs> and I guess I just want, want your opinion on uh, did they get the right guy? Because my Aggie friends have a lot of opinions. Yeah, I – it was interesting because it was hard to tell exactly what was going on with the Stoops thing. You know, it depends on who, you know, both of the, both sides kind of walked it back. Like Stoops said, I'm really happy here. I just defeated Louisville and everyone's kind of like, yeah, that's what you say when it doesn't fall through because we know the paycheck was going to be huge. I mean, Stoops isn't bad. I'm, I'm not as salt because some of the, some of the, the, the analysis I've heard on this, like there's some folks that are like, no, Stoops would have been great. I, you know, they it's both. They say they get why they didn't go with Stoops, but I think Stoops would have been great. I think Stoops, what he's done at Kentucky for Kentucky is impressive, and to be able to build a program that to where it is is impressive. I don't know if the, that's the toolbox that necessarily is required for winning at A and M because A and M and M wants to be just a perennial top ten playoff contender. Um, and you know, in you know, playoff contender first and then top 10 afterwards. Um, and they're seeing what's happening in Texas right now. 
you know, Sark is 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 finally he broke through the ten win ceiling, and now he's he's challenging with a with a reasonable chance of going to the title game, um, or at least the playoff. Pardon me. Um, so uh, I think Elko seems to be the better fit, only because for a couple of reasons. Number one, he was their defensive coordinator, as we know, under Jimbo Fisher. Apparently, and what I've been hearing is Jimbo Fisher's offensive side of the ball was very loose, and people were impressed by how under control, how focused the defensive side of the ball was, um, at least in practices and things. And that was when it was under Elko. So he, but at the very least, he knows what he's walking into. He knows what that program was being run like. He knows when he gets in, probably a good chunk of the players that are there, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And he also knows, um, sorry, I'm just going to mute on your side because I'm getting an echo from it. Um, but he knows that, um, he knows what it takes to to what they expect today, and he's walking into a situation where none of it's going to be bizarre for him. None of it's going to be alien. And the fact that he was able to get Duke into a winning direction is a positive sign. And I just, you know, that almost contradicts what I just said. I mean, you know, uh, so did Stoops at Kentucky. But um, I think the fact that he is at least a fit in terms of he's familiar with what he's walking into um, makes him an interesting hire. I I was kind of wondering if they were going to go with Trailer from uh, UTSA. They didn't. Um, they decided to go a little flashier. They decided to go with the big guy from Duke, which has been a hot commodity, and he's people have associated him with the job. Certainly, from the moment they were talking about whether Jimbo was on a serious chance of being fired. Um, so I think overall it's a good hire. I I would give it like I'm not. I wouldn't give it like an A grade. I'm not going to say it's like a home run. Um, it kind of split the difference in being someone who seems to be what they need to kind of take what's there, organize it, and make it into a winning program because you had that that stellar recruiting class a few years back. You'd still bring in top recruits. You have weapons. You just need to organize the team in a way that can exploit it in a way that can get into an SEC contender and then a playoff contender. Um, so I think those things went, and he just wins the press conference. I mean, it isn't like bringing Jimbo Fisher. That was one of the few times where you win the press conference, or like Lincoln Riley's hiring at USC. Those were like, whoa, you won the press conference moments. But I think he has some of, I think he has that that balance of knowing the team and being able to walk in there. Then I'll let you get the follow-up on this before I go to John, only because this is your question. Yeah, it was it was really weird watching it all unfold because um, I guess like you kind of like what you said, you know, Stoops has done pretty well at Kentucky. And I guess the kind of way that I've looked at it, how I've learned and seen how the whole college football and landscape and coaching works is I felt like at Kentucky, you're only going to have your ceiling is so high in regards to the money they're going to put into the football team and like the fan base, how much they care. Um, So I I guess I felt like, you know, Stoops would have, you know, with how well he's done at Kentucky, he would have had more money, more resources, a better recruiting spot. Um, being at A&M. So I, I was surprised that that one got walked back. And then again with uh, Elko, it's, you know, I think the biggest thing that I've seen a lot of people complain about is because um, he was under Jimbo Fisher, like you said, and, you know, those weren't very good years, you know, when he was, and not saying that it was his fault, because like you said, you know, people, they, they believe that the, you know, the offensive side of the ball was the problem, which is why they brought in um, Petrino um, this past year, which Funny enough, he's going back to Louisville, bringing the boy home. Um, so yeah, Arkansas, I mean, Arkansas, but yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Arkansas, excuse me, excuse <laughs> which me. is even Arkansas. wackier. It's even wackier when you think <laughs> yeah. about how he ended in Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. So and, and and again, I'm I'm also I was shocked that you know I don't know how far along the interviews got with Trailer, 
Um, because I think that would have been another good good option for AM too, because he's you know he's he's already he's deeply embedded in the recruiting of Texas. Um, the high school coaches love him and would easily send their players to him. Um, so I don't know if it was a combination of maybe AM was all like, who can we get that's going to be decent, but we don't have to pay them a ton of money like we just did and it not work yeah. out. And at the same time, I think they wanted someone from a P5 program. I think that was that's probably what, what worked against Trailer because now Trailer keeps coming up now for Houston as one of the people that could replace Dana Holgerson, um, along with Willie Fritz as the other one from Tulane. But, uh, you know, I think the you know, Trailer's perfect for the Texas market for his background being a, a successful high school coach and then coaching in a way where, as you said, which is extremely important in Texas for recruiting, being friends with everyone. Helco, from what I've heard, is, is like that, too. And he's, he's everyone, if you ever hear about people talk about him, like he played for, you know, UPenn, not Penn State. He played for an Ivy League school, um, had a very, has a very cerebral background and has coached at enough levels that he's apparently able to really, he isn't, he's able to focus himself in a way that I think, again, organizationally has been noted, but also seems to be able to communicate well with a variety of people. And that, that's helped him, I think, quite a bit. Um, John, I know you had a comment. I'm going to try and let up Creek Water again since since we had struggles get letting him up earlier. And then I also see you. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just want to. Um, it's actually a great transition because this is actually the question I was going to ask. Uh, excuse my language. But what the hell is Arkansas thinking? Are Are we really serious about about the the idea of Bobby Tran, Bobby Tran going back with his with his history? It, everything that has happened, are we seriously talking about the idea of him coming back? I, I'll tell you what, when I saw this news, man, I almost <laughs> fell, fell off my motorcycle. I mean, I'm just, guys are <laughs> shocked and appalled by the idea of him going back to Arkansas. I mean, what, what are we doing? I think it's wilder they kept Sam Pittman. Sorry to throw my two cents in, but I would have, le- I would not have kept him. Yeah, no, no, I am, I am shocked they, they kept Sam Pittman. I, I was I wasn't as shocked, but I was definitely that was a surprise. But what really shocked me was the fact that then they hired they were hiring Bobby Petrino because then it's like why not just tell Pittman this is a guy who's going to replace you if you don't you know if, if, if the moment you mess up next season this is the guy who's going to be the interim head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks like how I I, I I've never seen anything like and the thing is though Pittman had to have been okay with this because it's not like I doubt the administration went like hey we're I've never heard of an administration hiring an offensive coordinator. So was this Pittman's idea? Like, how desperate is Pittman? Maybe, maybe he was like thought he that he was going to get fired, and Arkansas wanted Petrino, but they knew they couldn't hire him straight up. So they're putting Pittman in a lose lose situation, knowing going into next season, maybe in going into November, he'll get fired. So that will give Jeez. Arkansas a reason to hire Petrino. Maybe it is absolutely one of the more fascinating ones for sure, but. uh yeah. So, but I, I uh, Creekwater, I know you came up here, and, and thank you for your patience as we're kind of trying to get you up into, into the into the stage. Um, but what, what's your thoughts? I know you've been really patient. Oh yeah, no, dude, my phone disconnected from the Wi-Fi and it booted me. But yeah, no problem. Um, I did find it fascinating that how uh, the Texas A and M thing, how like they got fired up about uh, Mark Stoops and loved Elko. I feel like those that's the same hire. I feel like it's that's similar in some ways. Higher. I mean, it's similar in some ways in that they're they took programs that at least for football, actually basketball schools that were lousy at football, and, and built something workable there. I think the the two things that really set Elko apart is number one, 
some A&M fans, I think, had trouble looking past the SEC record of Kentucky, which, you know, I think people really know football. It's like, yeah, but it's Kentucky. You know, I mean, you don't understand. That's that's huge for them. Um, and, and certainly players. I mean, you know, uh, you know, uh, we've seen coaches leave Kentucky and do extremely well elsewhere. And similarly for Duke, I mean, Steve Spurrier got hired by his alma mater, Florida, from Duke. And he was the big thing there at Duke because he just had a decent enough season that Duke went to a bowl game once. Um, and they were like, wow, that's good enough for us. You're in, you know, and, and obviously he became the, the legend at, at Florida. So I think to some extent um, it helped that he was in the ACC. It helped that it was only two seasons there. So it wasn't like they were like, well, he hasn't really got Duke over the hump, which would not be fair because, again, expectations at Duke. Um, I think also the connection to the program, having been, a, been the defensive coordinator and a successful coach under Jimbo Fisher, they know he knows and they know the program enough that he could plug in and, and make adjustments that he probably saw that would, uh, that would take advantage of what they've already been building there. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Like, I'm – I. Personally, I, I'm an Oklahoma State guy, but personally, if I was a Texas A&M, I would rather have Mark Stoops. But like, I I would could be convinced that Oko's a better hire. But it's just it was wild to me to watch the backlash. Like one has like been winning in the SEC at a solid clip, and the other has like been he's had a couple big wins, but then he's like beat up on the middle of of the road to bottom of the ACC, which is impressive to do at Duke because that's not doesn't happen. So that's why I'm saying I could go with either one, but like it doesn't seem like it's that big of a difference. And for like the fan base and to look at the reaction that they had when Mark Sheeps got hired compared to Ilko was wild to me because they seem very similar. And you uh, know, I want to I want to ask you something really quick since you're an Oklahoma State fan. How do you think Ollie Gordon's going to do against what might be one of the most intensely difficult defensive lines out there? Because that Texas front is loaded with first round picks right now. Oh. Uh, yeah, they asked Mike Gundy that on Monday, and um, he goes, "Yeah, they got a couple good players." And they said how they kind of worded it like, "How are we gonna get around them?" He goes, "I guess we'll just have to block them." Um, <laughs> and uh, and that's one thing about like Gundy, like I'm not expecting to win this game, like, but I am expecting to going into the fourth quarter, Texas fans will be nervous. Like I was way more, like more nervous going into the BYU game and the Houston game and the UCF game. Than I, than I was about this game. Like, we beat Texas like nine out of the last 14. We're like nine and four against them in the last 13 times. Like, they're a good team. They're better than us. But Mike Gundy, when you put him in this spot, he does well. Like, like this is one of those games that will like wouldn't surprise me if it's the opposite of how BYU and Houston was. Like, if we get ahead at halftime, we're up by 15, and then we lose by three. Like, that's the type of game I'm kind of expecting. Personally, yeah, that would be on know. point. That really would be. I mean, if any coach in the Big 12 is going to be the one, just for the sake of pure chaos energy, wreck Texas on their way out, uh, Mike Gundy seems to be the one to somehow pull that off. But at the same time, yeah. Then you, you see South Alabama, you see UCF. But, I mean, Texas is better than them. So, uh, theoretically, they'll, they'll perform better. I mean, who knows? We saw exactly what they did. It makes no sense, and that, and I'm that's why I'm glad he went to Oklahoma State because because he recruits decent. Like a lot of OSU fans think he should recruit better out of the success we've had in the last 25 years. You know, people think that we should recruit around 25 to 30, which is not wild. But if he was at a school like uh, Michigan, who kind of recruits to itself, I think Mike Gundy would have a national championship by now. I really believe that. 
Um, I think he's a great coach. He's a weird guy. He's a character. He's very, like, uh, his way. And he's kind of changed a little bit with the NIL that took him a minute. Like, I think it really took until, like, before this season yeah. for him to get on with the NIL stuff. Um, and, I don't know, it's just fascinating to watch him maneuver. Like, he's a very interesting character. And to watch him change with the changing landscape of college football, knowing that he doesn't like change at all, it's kind of it's fascinating to watch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I 100% agree with you on that. And, Nate, I see your hand up. Do you have thoughts? Yeah, so I actually am a Texas fan. Uh, so I think what you described to the Oklahoma State fan, that is kind of what's happened this past season a couple times already. And, I mean, naturally I'm going to be biased. So I, I don't think that's going to happen again because we've gotten past those, you know, you know, it happened in the U of H game um, and it happened in the TCU game where, granted, we were playing with backup quarterback. But, yeah, we let the guys, like, you know, catch up at halftime and, you know, like in Kansas State as well. And Kansas State went to overtime. And I think the other thing, too, is I've, I've kind of noticed with this Texas team that's a little bit different is in all of the games that they've been actually playing for something and had a reason to play for, they've really came out and played some of their best football. Um, the Alabama game was some of their best. The Oklahoma game, although we lost, was another, like, we just played really well in that game. Maybe a few a few spots. And then, you know, you come down to Iowa State and Texas Tech, you know, you, you get the bulletin board and build material from, um, from their offensive line guy. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, that was another game that, you know, we played well. And then Texas Tech, you know, with your mark, with the comments he said, and, you know, playing to secure the Big 12 championship, or clinch to go to the Big 12 championship. So I think the way with, with Sark's coaching mentality is, um, when they got something on the line, those guys, they show up. So I, I'm hoping that's what happens again this week. I'll actually be there at the game. So looking forward to that. Um, but we'll, we'll see. Cause I do respect Gundy and he, he can, he can whip something out of the, the hat, you know, um, like he's done these past couple of years. I'm with you, Nate. And one question about Texas, like no disrespect, like uh, I'm just, uh, cause I'm just curious. I read that Texas last week going into the Tech game didn't really use padded practices at all this week or that week because they just saved themselves. Because Oklahoma State's banged up. Ollie Gordon is not 100%. He's played his ass off. He had five touches, but he's, you can just tell like, he's not 100%. How is Texas's health? I'm just curious going into the game. Um, so I didn't, I didn't see that, so I don't know what the reason why of not playing without pads, but – um, I think health-wise, we're good, but we're good because of depth. Um, you know, before, I think it was the week before last week, everyone was talking about Ollie Gordon, um, and great player. However, the number five or number six running back in the nation at the time, and I think he was number three in rushing yards of power five, was um, uh, Jonathan Brooks until he got injured. And since then, Jaden Blue and C.J. Baxter have, have stepped in. And, I mean, it's, the running game is still a really big part of our, of our team. Yeah, that was a big um, question. I gotta admit, that has been a big. That was my initial worry was when, um, when Brooks went down, who was going to be able to? Could Baxter step up, and who was going to step up with him? Um, yeah, only yeah. because and of I, that. Because that's been. I mean, sorry to interrupt you, but because that's also the the only the, the weakest spot right now. It feels like when we're looking at Texas is that uh, their ability to finish in the red zone. Because even against even the fifty-seven to seven clobbering of Texas Tech, I was blown away. It was only only one trip out of five of the first five where they actually able to punch it in in the red zone. That, of course, 
the other touchdowns were like long touchdowns. So that's where I kind of got obscured there. But I mean, that's been actually the only weird thing about this Texas team that I can't explain why. Because, and when, when of course, when, when, when you lose Brooks, you're like, well, that really limits what you can maybe do um, in the red zone. But clearly against Texas Tech, they were able to come up with other ways to absolutely wreck, uh, wreck Tech. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think, in my opinion, I think what, what happened with a lot of the red zone stuff. Um, I don't think really it's a player thing. I think it's been a play calling thing because um, we had that. Uh, we have a we have a wildcat package with Savion Red, and it's like you know again we have we have a very good offensive line, very good running game, and you know Sark will do something where you know he'll run on first down and we get one yard or something like that, and then they go to a wildcat, and it's very frustrating where it's all like I understand what just happened on first down, but you still have one of the best O line and some of the best running backs in the country. I'm a big run the ball kind of guy, so it's. I, I think it's in play calling in the red zone for us. Yeah, I mean, and another thing about that Tech game, like, um, I'm not. I watched. I watched it sporadically um, with the. I think it was Oregon, Oregon State going on, or Oregon, Washington State, or something like that. But um, when you're dominating and like popping big plays, like Texas was against Tech. Like, I feel like it's unfair to judge your red zone efficiency when you're up by three or more touchdowns because red zone touchdowns, like, really require complete concentration and, like, you got to execute the play. And when you're, like, kind of coasting or knowing you're going to win, it's easy to, like, kind of fall back. Like, um, I know it's probably they, they shouldn't, players shouldn't, but I feel like that happened a lot against Tech. Like, you know, they, they just relied on the big play and then – they knew it yeah. was going to be made. And, and let us not forget one of those red zone um, trips was whenever that boy Arch Manning was in. Which did you guys see that guy? Did you see him scramble for twelve yards? It was incredible. That's a smart run, dude. <laughs> smart run, high IQ run. Yeah, the fastest, <laughs> the fastest batting there ever was. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh goodness! So uh, let's see. I want to allow uh, Ryland. You've been super patient. Um, what are your thoughts uh, on whatever topic? I don't want to. You don't have to come in and just start chiming in on the Big Twelve title game, but you've been really patient. Oh, I don't. I don't really know. I'm just sitting here. Like I. I don't know. I mean, Tech's probably got that in the bag, but like right now, no way. Hey man, we'll see. But uh, I. Uh, I think my side, the audio is going wrong. I'm going to do a quick reboot on my side. Don't just be sit back, right back for one second. I'll be right back in here. He's a hell of a radio voice, doesn't he? Dude, it's crazy. Very soothing. Yeah. I, it's I like wanna, Casey I wanna, Kasem. I want to know what Mikey uses. That's what I really want to know. Oh, hey, I'm back. Just that smooth vocal cord. <laughs> it's very NPR. All right. There we go. Now I can hear everybody. Sorry, it's this weird thing that Twitter spaces do. After a while, I sometimes just can't hear somebody. And, and I know it's coming from, like, the technical. And it's only the host. That's what makes it worse. Only the host can't hear the person who's the speaker. But, uh, but what's on your mind? I'm hearing some rumblings about people ranking Colorado in the top 15, preseason top 15 next year. What do you guys think of that? How crazy do you think that is? <laughs> so I'm so sorry. I, not realistic. No, it's fine to laugh at that. <laughs> no, I mean um, – Please tell me you make this I, I think it's 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 a great way to plant the idea. It's a great way to try and plant. I'm not gonna hate the I'm not gonna hate the attempt. Um, but uh, I, I realistically I think Colorado is gonna be kind of back to square one with everyone's just not gonna know what they expect from Dion and and maybe he'll start scraping by 
some wins again. And I think people will be a little more hesitant to, to buy in, but um, I'm not saying he can't get a better season. Cause I mean, again, I think the order in which the, the, the wins took place really raised the expectations, perhaps a little bit too unrealistically high so that a Colorado team that did far better than it did last season Everyone's like, oh, they, you know, everyone, it just, unfortunately, the way you approach it that way. And I mean, I mean, it's not ending. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw, but Danny Cannell uh, went after <laughs> Deion Sanders Jr. Uh, because of something, you know, Deion Sanders Jr. called him a hoe after <laughs> last, early in the season. Jr. <laughs> does that, though. I think a lot of that stuff is engagement. Oh, absolutely. Like- absolutely. And, and then two, like one quick point about uh, in the NIL world. Um, I feel like now more than ever, it's, you really need a cult, a coach that like focuses on culture when people are moving in and out. Like if you look at the blue bloods that are doing well, Nick Saban, Kirby smart, um, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, I mean, those are culture guys. If you want to like one thing people don't talk about is Alabama and Georgia lose a, sh- a, a a crap ton of transfers every year. Like of good guys, like highly recruited players. Like if a player if a team like Oklahoma State loses a, a guy that committed as a four star, it's a big deal. Alabama and Georgia lose four stars multiple every year in the transfer portal. Like culture in the coaching game is a big deal and I think that's where like not to throw him under the bus even more, but like Lincoln Riley is going to struggle like in this new world. Like back in the day, if you got a guy committed, he's probably going to be there. Now they can just bounce and you need a culture establisher as a, no matter if you're a blue blood or not. And then one, the side note too, if you are a stud, like if you have a a Heisman type quarterback at like a school, like uh, Texas tech, is that a good thing or a bad, like it's good for that year, but then, Ozar is going to leave too. And I just find that interesting. Like, if you have like a star quarterback, how long would he stay? But the culture thing was my main point, and I'll, yeah. I'll let y'all talk about. It. Well, no, and I just wanted to say, like, again, going back to the Heisman finalist thing. I mean, Penix didn't quite pan out where they thought he was going to at Indiana. Now we look at him at, at Washington. Same with Bo Nix at Auburn, and and Jordan Travis at, at Arizona State. I mean, it's it's got to be just so mind blowing for those those schools. But I'm going to let the hands up talk, and then I'm going to try and, and at least let a couple more folks up here. Uh, I appreciate it as we slowly get towards the point where I'll probably wrap it up because we're getting pretty late. But Nate, I'll let you go first, and then uh, Dr. Pepper Bucko. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with Colorado. Um, it's I the it, I actually live in Denver, and some of the optimism is very blind optimism because no disrespect to any other Colorado fans out here, but a majority of them like they didn't know how to act this year, and it was some of the games after like the writing was already on the wall. They were like, "Oh yeah, we're going to go uh, watch the USC game," and. You know, they're definitely going to pull it off. I'm going to put money on it. I was just like, guys, you're not you're not winning that game. I'm sorry. So it's there's a lot of delusional uh, Buffs fans right now. And, and I think next year it'll be kind of a uh, a check for them. And they'll kind of understand that you got to build up to having like a prominent program. It's been crazy here, I think. A lot of people, especially in the state of Colorado, don't understand what good college football looks like. Like 2015 happened and then they were good in 2001. And it's like it's like a foreign entity actually seeing a good college football team. So people just get excited and especially that Dion's here, but I don't 
think people really know what's coming. I think this team, if Byron Leftwich comes and like, which is what's rumored, and they actually the O line gets maybe thirty percent better, I think they cap out at seven eight wins realistically. Yeah, that'll be interesting, especially as in the Big Twelve. I'm really curious to see in this in the the new adventures of the Big Twelve how they uh, how they they work out. Because yeah, theoretically, um, they should recruit the best with Dion. I mean, they on, they were on pace to, but now it's kind of falling off. But they were yeah. on pace to come into the Big Twelve, like, and kind of bring in the most talent year after year. And it'll be interesting to see if they can. How it just be fascinating to watch how that works out. The Sean Lewis recruits left, which makes sense. And then the Antoine Hill thing is NIL money. Like the NIL collective at Colorado is a, is like minuscule compared to these SEC schools. So it makes sense. But I think that the the recruiting class this year isn't going to be anything substantial like you'll have to keep an eye on the transfer portal which is what Dion does so you know I want to we have someone up here who's been patient Eaton's uh image uh I see you're a Cowboys fan yourself uh what's on your mind I do think it's kind of ironic that we're talking about a fan base that uh potentially could do the best recruiting in the Big 12 with some delusional fans sounds like we're trading Texas for another Texas in my opinion Um, (laughs) lol uh but you said something earlier that kind of uh, caught my attention that Texas, you, I mean, you kind of dismissed it and said Texas is the better team. Well, Texas is always the better team, aren't they? Texas should always be the better team. They always out-recruit Oklahoma State. They always have all the five oh, yeah. stars. But yet, somehow, Mike Gundy is 9-4 and four in the last 13 games against Texas. Um, the last time we played a top-seven Texas team, they had one loss. We had three. We had a guy named Corndog playing quarterback for us, and we, we were actually wearing them out. We were up like 24-7 to 7 at one point in that game and won the game. That was the infamous uh, Mike Gundy almost fought their coach out you know, midfield <clears throat> after the game. But um, I just think it's funny that Oklahoma State always gets dismissed. Um, I'm a huge Mike Gundy apologist, um, kind of like Hayden there. I think Mike Gundy does a very good job. He, he said it very well. It's culture. Mike Gundy's created a culture over the last 19 seasons at Oklahoma State, and There'd be nothing more satisfying for a lifelong Poke fan than to send OU and Texas both out the door with losses to the SEC. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you've hit the nail on the head because that was Texas' classic problem. They were like they were like basically the USC of the Big 12. It's like, look, now USC's still there. I mean, it's like, look at all this talent and no results, you know, kind of thing. Correct. And I think that's – this season, I think what has brought people around is just watching that Alabama game, watching them go into Tuscaloosa – and out physical Alabama. And I think now ever the fear is like, oh crap, somebody's actually taking advantage of all those 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 guys they recruit. And I mean, now look, I mean, t- think about what we're talking about the offseason. Like, which great quarterback are they not gonna have, you know, uh, right. heading into next season? It'll probably be Malik Murphy, in my opinion. But right. I uh, I you know, I I think that's the only reason why, because in normal season, yeah, Texas would always kind of have that game where I mean, all I'm I was watching that Iowa State game because I was absolutely curious to see is this gonna be where we see old Texas kind of pop up and just flop, uh, you know, mysteriously. And they did. And I think Houston was the, I mean, again, there was an injury in the middle of that game, which kind of threw the game a little bit off. That but I think this too. is the season That's where it's a little weird to say, like, I, I, I'm a, this Texas team is genuinely, it seems to be finally playing up to its, its talent level. But, you know, at the same time, I completely agree. I think Mike Gundy, <clears throat> his ability to coach 
if they're going to figure out a way, they're going to figure out a way. And I think it's not going to be a runaway game. I think it I was, will be a close game one way or the other. I was the most impressed with Texas at the Iowa State game because usually Iowa State will give them problems. Iowa State's a very physical team. Um, that was a very um, hard-fought, in-the-trenches type of game, much like the Alabama game was. But, you know, college football is so fickle sometimes. Outside of that Alabama game, which, you know, we, we saw Oklahoma go go to the Sugar Bowl and beat Alabama. Um, with Trevor Knight at quarterback, things like that can happen in college football sometimes. I'm not saying that you should just dismiss that, but you you see the college football playoff committee not giving Texas as much credit for that win as Oregon, you know, even losing to Washington kind of looks like, or Ohio State losing to Michigan. I know the spot in the season has a lot to do with that, but there, there's been two games, in my opinion, where, where Texas played quality teams in the Big 12, and that was the Kansas State game, which they went into overtime, and if Kansas State can kick an f- extra point, they win the game, and they lost to Oklahoma. So I just I don't want people to totally dismiss Oklahoma State in this game. Now I've said that, and we'll go get beat by thirty. But I think Mike Gundy will have you know rally troops. Um, we have arguably the best running back in college football, and we we'll, you know we'll, we'll roll our helmet out there and see what happens on Saturday. And, and to piggyback off that before everyone goes go uh, talks about other stuff, because I know there's other fans that are, of teams in here, but uh, there's a thing that happens, and it happens in the SEC too. Like Mississippi State is not an easy place to play. But when you go to Manhattan, Kansas, or you go to Ames, Iowa, it doesn't matter if those teams are ranked or not. Like that is a t- – like unless you're a Georgia – where you just walk in and be like, we're having an NFL team, and you don't. Like, unless you're that, that is a tough place to win. Like, like there's like mm-hmm. three to five programs that could just walk in and be like, we're better than you, leave. And they could win the game. Everyone else, that's a tough place to go play and win. And, and that's why if you look at OU over the years, or Texas, or Oklahoma State, who's been the second-best program in the Big 12 – if you look at who they they lose in Manhattan a decent amount, they lose in Ames. Like those are tough places to play, and I'm and like, and that's the same with the uh, Mississippi State and the SEC. Like outside of Georgia and Bama, who just walk in and have their roster and go win. I bet you have not a lot of um, SEC teams have a winning record in Starkville, and and the and the credit that needs to get given to those teams that go win those games gets overlooked because of teams like Alabama and Georgia because they're so much better and they just walk in and they win with their talent. But like, there's only like four or five teams that can do that. Mm. Yeah. So I want to slowly start wrapping this up. I want to let Nate come in and then I'll let Dr. Uh, Pepper Bucko. Yeah. Eden, I know it's uh, I know it's tough that uh, to find us, but there are a couple of, of um, sensible Longhorn fans. I went to school there. I know there's a lot of them that just, talk you know out of their butt and and whatever um i like i you know i said earlier i i respect oklahoma state and and mike gundy and what they're able to do um and ollie gordon you know best best running back in the country um i think just you know the point that i've tried to make is i really do think this like texas team is different and we're talking about culture that is something that's very different about this team i mean that's the whole reason why you know, we had that, uh, that, that, that tip with o- Iowa State, excuse me, um, because their offensive linemen called out our culture saying we don't have, you know, we have five-star players, but we don't have five-star culture. I mean, we showed up and we played. We, we, you know, we beat them, you know, in Ames with that five-star culture. Um, so, I mean, I, I, think, I think it's uh, – I'm not going to dismiss Oklahoma State. I would never do that personally. 
Um, but I really do feel good about this Texas team this year. Kind of sucks. This is the last time we're ever going to play each other, more than likely. Kind of sucks. Yep. Regular it's been season a good ride. <laughs> been a good ride. So, Dr. Pepper Bucko, what are your thoughts as we slowly wrap this up? Uh, so I'm um, I'm thinking like about you know, of course, you know, the transfer portal, all about the money and that. It's Where's about that? like, of course, prestige, uh, location, and like, let's say, oh my god, I'm really about to dive into this. The Pitt Panthers, you know, they share a facility with the Steelers, like the. Uh, there's it's location, money, all of that. But uh, other thoughts, uh, yeah, uh, I I got nothing. And uh, <laughs> no problem. Anyways, uh, yeah, dude, go pants, go pit. Yeah. Uh, anyways, good night. Probably all my Pittsburgh teams lost. Good night. Jalen Warren is a dog. Jalen Warren rules. (laughs) You know, I'm going to go ahead and slowly wrap this up. I just want to give a couple of thoughts. You know, one thought, by the way, I I just thought, because, you know, would have been funny if uh, the moment the game went final, suddenly Jim Harbaugh emerged from somewhere in uh, the big house. Like, I would have (laughs) para-dropped him in. I would have had a plane on standby to drop him into the stadium so he kind of lands in the middle of that that crowd on the field and the crowd surfs. I would have played the macho <laughs> man Randy Savage up. version of pomp and circumstance. You know, like if you if you know WWF in that era, like the macho man version of that the the pomp and circumstances he you know but uh, <laughs> that point, I'm sure they I'm sure had they had all the players to do that but but the the suspension actually was for the the day, not for the game. They oh I know, I know, player. I know. That would have been that would have been worth it. But yeah, no that absolutely <laughs> Hey, you quick know, question gonna, for a, you, Ray, gonna, real quick before you go. Can I ask you one quick question? And I'll, I know you. I want to end it. Georgia loses. No matter what happens, the uh, the rest of the day, it's irrelevant. Uh, Georgia loses. Are they still in the playoff? Yeah. I am. I'm. I'm. I. You know. I thought yes, but the more I've heard it, kind of scenarioed out, they would need a couple of more teams to lose because there are so many teams bulked up this year. This is the best year for the 12 team playoff. I mean, the best advertisement for it, because this is the one year where there are scenarios that seem unfathomable, which there is a theory that Georgia could not make it that if they lose, there could be a scenario where they might not make it in. I I'll wait to see it. I'll not even going to, I'm not going to say it's going to happen. But it's it there. It isn't out of the realm of possibility, which is just amazing. And that's I'll lay my paycheck that Georgia doesn't get left out if they lose. I'd I lay my I, I think pay- they could though, Jason. And that's why I have my uh, all my money on OSU winning against Texas because the power of the SEC collectively will be pulling us up from the ashes to beat the Longhorns. Georgia's rooting <laughs> for us. Bama's rooting for us. The whole Big Twelve. Hateful eights rooting for us. The only people not rooting for us is OU fans, which how funny is that? They're out there rooting for Texas. So, like, we have this. Hey, that's what that's what I told uh, all the OU fans this week, Reddit. Whoever <laughs> you root for in this game, whoever you cheer against in this game is your true biggest rival. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that They're is They're rooting for Texas. It's wild. It's phenomenal. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up on a really just totally left field story because that's something that we tend to be good at, but, but something that is near to my heart, which, again, you're never going to guess what this topic's going to be. I love reading about the drama in college football in other countries because there is college football in other countries. Japan's had it for since the 40s, since basically we, we blew them up. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but you know, Whoa, but they, 
They love football. They have a hundred college football teams. I mean, they'll love football, but I mean, they, they have enough. And the drama that happens there is so bonkers that I couldn't believe it because they're super straight laced about football. First of all, there's two things I want to bring up. They had, because they have a playoff. They actually have the best relegation promotion model, but we'll set that aside. That's not what's going on here. They had a three-way tie in one of the two major conferences that get to basically only jump into the playoff in the semifinals. One is in like the, the lot of, there's like 30 million people that live around Osaka and Kobe. It's like one big mega city. And that's one conference. And then the people live around Tokyo, which is also another 30 million people. Anyway, so one of the conferences, three teams tied for six and one. And the problem was it came down to a final game. So the final game gets played the like the 29 time national champion that's on a five year, five year national championship run. They lose in a 13, 16 game to one of their rivals. So they have three teams tied at six and one. One of them has to go. They don't have like points for points against head to head. Didn't work because they all had beaten each other at least once immediately after the game. The captain for the three teams and the team that didn't play that day, the guy like came up in a warm up suit. They all went to the middle of the field in uniforms, by the way, for two of these guys and played rock, paper, scissors, not to see who's going to the playoff, but to see in which order they get to pick a sealed envelope. So in front of the crowd, the three guys take three. I mean, they pick their their envelopes and then they open them and pulled out a piece of paper. The piece of paper said who was going to the playoff. It is the I, I mean, there's a picture. We, we If you look in our Twitter account, it's like way in the middle of the night on uh, it's after Hawaii finished. That's how late it was on Saturday night. There's like an image of these three guys holding up the pieces of paper. The guy who just lost is like looking kind of smug. He just pulled out. We're going to the playoff. The guy who, who's in the warm up jacket probably didn't expect it. He just looks kind of whatever. But the guy who just his team literally just pulled the upset of the year. He just looks like he got shot. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I've never seen. So, okay, that was what I thought was the the most amazing, you know, story of wackiness. No, the, one managed to top it. Okay, so again, Japanese college football. I know most of you don't know it, so you just buy, bear with me here. One of the best teams in that other conference, the one that's in Tokyo, is Nihon University. Fine, whatever. That's that's the word Japan in in Japanese. They. <laughs> this again, going to the conservative nature of Japan, they just announced, well, um, no, pardon me. Let me step back for a second. Back in August, they found a football player had pot. Okay. So uh, just wait, they decide they're going to suspend the entire team for the season because it was in the football dorm and they found some signs that there had been pot in the dorms. And then a second player got suspended. And that was the point where they said, no, no we're not having a season. This is a team that, has won 21 national championships. This isn't like a joke of a team. This is like Clemson just suddenly deciding, uh-oh, we found pot in the dorm the football players are in, you know, pearl clutching. And then it gets worse. So they had it like a group of, of their administrators get together, and they said, we've got to have the president of the university resign because this is an absolute embarrassment to our honor that they knew that this was going on and they didn't take action further. And it's not even clear he knew. This is like literally like the whole like, well, you know, Connor Stallions will just punish Harbaugh because even if he knew or not, he should have known. I mean, it's literally on a presidential level. They, they fired this guy. But it gets even crazier. On the 27th, so yesterday, they found a third player who was uh, suspended for violating. They, they use very peculiar language in some of this. Uh, the um, 
they he violated the uh, Special Drug Provisions Act, which is just basically you got caught with pot, right? So today they announced they're shutting down the entire program. They're not suspending it. They are literally shutting Stop it, it all down. Stop it. Dude, <laughs> if Alabama shut down football, people would die. Uh, I mean, I, I have never in my life seen a story they, that's traumatic. They better be glad they didn't make that president fall on his own sword, literally. Yeah, seriously, at this point, I'm like, are, are we going to see Seppuku here? You know, I mean, and it was, uh, you know, to be fair, like, to give you an idea how extreme they react, in 2018, because Japan has one of the, the funnier ideas that, and I mean, funny is the wrong word, interesting ideas. In the spring, they have a non-tournament, like non-competitive spring season where teams play their backups just to give an opportunity. It's like a spring game, but it's against other programs. They play it's like not competitive. A, it's a, well, it's a three game season where they're basically playing preseason games, true okay. preseason games where they're playing guys who never haven't played yet. It's a chance to test underclassmen in the spring. So they'll do it in like a May it'll be April, May season type of thing. So what happened in 2018, the reigning national champion, which was the same university had a game where there was a flagrant late hit. And it was the slowest news day possible, so it managed to even reach the New York Times, which blew me away. But he did a flagrant late hit, and it, the flagrant late hit ballooned into the fact that the university was suspended by the conference, so they didn't compete the next season. And it gets better because, I told you, they have promotion and relegation. If you don't compete in the season, you have a no-win record. So the reigning national champion got relegated and sent back down to the lower division and then had to fight its way back up. This same That's why school, never beat us. Oh, um, it, it's absolute, like, you kind of imagine just, like, what would happen if this happened in the United States? People the madness that would occur. It. That one dude burned the Auburn trees because they got beat by three. <laughs> like, uh, have you seen, you talking about that made me think of, um, there's a guy that, he did this before he worked at Barstool, but he... Went to China and joined the like this is like 2010 to 12. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And he joined the uh, the Shanghai Sharks. I don't know what the team was, but he joined the Chinese professional football team and made like a docu eight episode documentary of him on the team. And uh, and like he kind of it started out with him like kind of joking around and thinking it's kind of stupid, but then he realized how serious the Chinese players took it. So then he like invested in like worked out and like studied film with them and and did everything and like he played a full year on a chinese professional football team and it was really cool to watch it's like eight or nine episodes it's worth the watch it's just free on youtube absolutely we'll have to check that out so i just wanted to leave with that story only because it's so wacky um japan's college no, football season i'll be down the rabbit hole today thank you i'll be up all night down the rabbit hole <laughs> so yeah anyway so i i want to wrap their season goes a little longer i mean this weekend actually we saw canada crown a national champion with the montreal carabins they beat the uh ubc thunderbirds we saw mexico see a rematch of their national championship with the uh, borregos uh of monterey tech winning the national championship again and a defensive play at the end of the game, once just like last year. Um, so again, a lot, lots of stuff goes on. We pay attention to all of it. But yeah. I wanted to thank all of you. It is getting to be a two-hour show. This is usually we we cut it off around at ninety minutes in the season. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up on behalf of it's all of us here at RCFB. Um, I'm Bob Akayeri. I wanted to thank all of you for listening. I wanted to thank all of you for participating. It's going to be a fun championship weekend. Now I'm gonna hang up and listen.